Last week, we finished our teaching uh, series on letdown. Next week, um, a good friend of mine uh, that I've known now over 50 years is going to be with us, Peter Butt from England. He's been with us a number of times. Pete's going to be teaching next Sunday morning. And then, uh, so today, uh, we're not starting a new series. Uh, There's a one-off teaching that I want to bring to you. But before we start, I call today's teaching, Look Up. And as we come to that, uh, I do want to take a second to acknowledge the fact that right now, there will be a lot of people who are tuning into us on our Facebook Live or our YouTube feed, and I just want to address them, you, and say thank you for joining us, and I want to encourage everybody here to take a second to welcome the people who are watching us now live, literally from countries around the world. Thanks so much for being with us. We're glad you're here. So glad you're here. I love the 21st century. I really do. So, so we've been averaging around 450 folks who meet here and worship on a Sunday morning nowadays, but you can add to that, multiply that. And I do want to suggest um, to everyone here who's inclined to do it, and to those of you who are with us online, that actually the teaching this morning can go even further afield if you would right now just hit the share button that is underneath the video on the Genesis Church Facebook page. Feel free to do that here, because some of you are checking Facebook already anyway. Um, So if you you want to do that, please do it. You might just blow the Wi-Fi totally, but I don't think so. Um, But if you would do that, that would be good. Perhaps if half of you waited five minutes, that would be easier. I know I I suggested this months ago, and I jammed everything up because everybody went on at the same time. But it's great to get the word out. And I do love the fact there's some of our church family who can't be here today. Uh, Some are sick. Some are traveling. uh, But you're able to join us through the terrific miracle of technology. I've got no idea that works. Have you? I've got no idea. It goes from here through that camera up in space and back down again onto people's phones. Yeah, let me talk about what I do know. Look up. Look up. A a number of years ago, on one of my first visits to India to do some ministry, um, we traveled down to the southern state of Goa to uh, do some teaching in a church there. Goa is a beautiful state, has an incredible coastline, uh, incredible beaches, It's a terrific spot. In fact, a lot of British people go there for the winter. So British snowbirds don't go to Florida. They go to Goa. Apart from anything else, it's marvelous weather, and it's dead cheap to live there. So they go there for the winter. It's a great place. So the first time I went there, I was exhausted when we arrived because we had taken a train, and a train ride that was meant to take just a few hours ended up taking 12 hours. And uh, it was a very uncomfortable train. And when I got there, I was exhausted. We got to the place we were staying, and uh, the idea was to rest for the afternoon, but I, you know, I, I couldn't sleep. So I decided I'd just walk down to the beach. I went down towards the beach, and there were a couple of little cafes. I got a cold drink, and I sat on the back of the beach. And the beach kind of from where I was sitting, it sort of went up quite steeply then, and then I guess went down to the water's edge. So I could see this sandbank, and I could see a little bit of the sea. And I sat there for a while, and um, 
just reflected and took in what was going on. And then I went back to our accommodation. I said to my friend Basil, uh, he said, do you sleep? I said, no, no, I, I went down to the beach. He said, did you see the shipwreck? I said, no. He said, what beach did you go to? I said, the beach, just down there. He said, there's a shipwreck. I said, I didn't see it. He said, Roger, what the heck is the matter with you? There is a huge oil tanker that ran aground not long ago. And, and, and it became kind of a joke all the time we were in Go. It's like, anybody seen the shipwreck? Anybody seen the shipwreck? Because I hadn't seen it. Now, when we drove by the beach later in the day, looking at it from a different angle where I wasn't looking at the sandbag, there's a huge oil tanker, <laughs> right, that had kind of run aground and been washed up there. But, but I didn't see it. It was there, but, but there was something in between. And the fact is, often for us in life, we can get so engaged with what's happening right in front of us that that occupies all of our thinking and all of our minds, our life, our work, our, our families, our schedules. What have we got to race to next? The, the, the struggles that happen in family life from time to time. The, the, the pressures. How long will the car last? Will it last? How much is this medical bill going to be? Can I really afford to pay it? What's happening or not happening on Capitol Hill? And we can get so caught up in the stuff of life that we totally forget some essential truths. And one of the things I love about Sunday mornings is what happens on a Sunday morning is we remind ourselves of the things that really matter and that really important and that really anchor us in life. This is the place we choose to come for a reset. Is that a fair description? Away from everything else, far from the madding crowd. Not that this is an escape from the real world, but this is a reminder of actual reality. Because the reality is that God is God, that God is on the throne. And if we will regularly and constantly lift our eyes above the hubbub around about us, we will be reminded of the reality of who he is, of how he is, and of where we are in relationship to our God. What I want to encourage you to do this morning is look up. Look up wherever life is right now. Psalm 3 and verse 3 says this. It says, but you, God, shield me on all sides. You ground my feet. You lift my head high. You, God, lift my head high. And some of you came in here this morning, and I'm not talking about how you looked when I saw you, but I'm talking about where you're at in life. And some of you came in here this morning kind of with your head hung down, feeling vulnerable, feeling shaky. And my prayer to God this morning is that before you leave this place, you will be reminded again, God actually shields you on every side so you are not that vulnerable. God actually grounds your feet so you will not be moved. And God lifts your head high above everything else to where you see him as he is. Look up. That's the word of the day. Look up. Look up. Don't get so mired in what's going on 
that you look side of that. I want to I want to look at three passages in the Bible that encourage us in this direction, uh, and they encourage us in specific ways. The first thing I want to talk about is this: if you look up, you will see God's protection. However vulnerable you might feel right now, if you look up, you will see God's protection. Earlier in the year, we did a spaghetti dinner fundraiser for our youth group. Remember? That was was a great night. Um, It was to help them with a summer trip that actually didn't work out. So they're doing a fall trip instead. And next weekend, we've got about 20-odd teenagers uh, who are going away to a weekend's youth retreat. And uh, because of your generosity, um, we've got good transport for them. They rented a small bus, and a bus will take them. And I was thinking the other day about when when I was like a teenager, and we went off on events on a bus. You know what we used to do? We would sing songs. Oh, some of you know that, right? I mean, really, really good songs, like 10 green bottles hanging on the wall. And if one green bottle should accidentally fall, there'd be nine green bottles hanging on the wall. Second verse, nine green bottles, <laughs> scintillating stuff. But we would. We'd, like, we, we, we would, we, we'd sing songs like that, you know? And, and then kind of when our kids got to the age of being teens going off doing stuff, they would sing. We lived in Scotland then. One of the songs they would sing was, You, you Can't Chuck Your Granny Off a Bus. You can't chuck your granny because she's your mommy's mommy. You can't chuck your granny off a bus. Verse 2 was you can chuck your other granny off a bus. You can chuck your other granny because she's your daddy's mommy. And then in the 21st century, in the 21st century, I I think I know what's going to happen on Friday when they leave. The 21st century will be... Send me pictures, Domingo. I know I'm right. <laughs> Things have changed, right? You know, way back in Bible times when, when people were traveling, Jerusalem was the center of worship. And when people were going to go to Jerusalem to worship, they generally walked. And often they, the journey took them days and days. And they would walk to Jerusalem, and they actually sang songs as they were going. And some of those songs are, are in the Bible, in, in the book of Psalms. And you'll find through the, through the 120s, of the Psalms, you'll find that underneath the Psalm number, it always says a song of ascent. Those were the traveler's songs. They're what they sang as they were going up to Jerusalem. And one of them, Psalm 121, um, way back when, in secular school, we used to learn the Bible. And I learned this when I was in about fourth grade. They had us learn Psalm 121. And here's one of the songs they sang. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Now, the idea that Jerusalem was up high, so they were going up now to Jerusalem to make the final part of their journey. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, the thought is this. By this stage of the journey, when they had been walking for days... Here they are now. It's like, okay, there's Jerusalem in the distance, but see how high up it is? A few years ago, two years, I did, I I ran the Great Cow Harbor race, which is a a, a 10K race. It's got one incredible hill in it, 
But you know the great thing about Cow Harbor Race? That's, it's in Northport. So the last mile or so is all downhill right through the town. And it's like, thank God. But for these pilgrims, the last bit of it was uphill. And if you look at that verse, it's like, you know, I, I lift my eyes to the mountains. It's like, am I going to make this? Where does my help come from? Can I, can I really keep going on? Oh, my Lord, I think I'm done. And then they say, they kind of look to the mountains, but then they look higher and say, wait a second, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Am I going to make it? They look at the mountains and think, I don't know, but then they look up higher still and say, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I just want to tell you today, whatever mountain might be in front of you this Sunday morning, you need to look a little bit higher and say, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Will you make it? No question. Because God will always bring us through. The, the other thing they say about this particular psalm was as these pilgrims were going towards Jerusalem, the, the nearer you got to the city when they were, it got a little bit hilly and mountainous, that that hilly terrain was a place where, where robbers would hang out. So actually, the last bit was very dangerous. So here they are, not only tired, coming to one of the most tiring sections of their journey, but here they are now, and, and they're going to be vulnerable because they could be robbed, they could be killed. So I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Hey, we're looking at all these hills around us and we don't know who's hiding there. Where does my help come from? Who's going to help me? And then you look a bit higher and say, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It doesn't matter who's lurking. It doesn't matter who's going to try to hurt me. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You, you know, you can't deny life's challenges. They're for real. There was an era in church life a number of years ago now where people kind of said that faith meant that you didn't acknowledge what was wrong. I, I mean, I met a guy once. He said, the doctor says I've broken my arm, but I'm, I, in faith I'm saying that, that my arm is totally healed. Now, I get where he was coming from to some degree, but he was taking it to a crazy degree. No, your arm's not healed. It's broken. It's going to be healed. It will be healed. And that's what you look forward to. But if you walk around the streets and tell everybody who asks you, say, no, my arm's perfectly all right in Jesus' name, uh, they are not going to understand you. It's okay to acknowledge life's challenges. It's realistic to acknowledge life's challenges. But the main thing is, when we see life's challenges, we've got to look higher than any of them and recognize that above the greatest of our challenges, when we look up, the maker of heaven and earth is the one who is our helper. There was a time back in Old Testament times when God's people had been pulled away from their own country, Jerusalem, and its temple had been destroyed. But there was a time when, when the, the king who had held them all kind of captives, prisoners of war in his country, said some of them could go back if they wanted to and could start rebuilding the temple. And they did that. 
And they went back and they started building the temple, but then they got a bit fed up with building the temple and decided they needed nice houses instead. And so they started building themselves some nice houses and it looked like the temple was never going to get completed. And in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah gives a message to these people and it's this. He says, God said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. I just like saying that. That's a cool name, isn't it? Zerubbabel. It's like, I, I think that's cool. My next son will be called Zerubbabel. Oh, we didn't tell them yet, did we? Uh, so, so, so this, is, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor, okay? So God says, look, here, here you go. You've got this project. You're pretty discouraged. The people seem to have lost interest. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. God says, I'm going to get this done. And look at this next bit. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Listen, it's good to acknowledge the challenge, but then confront the challenge, talk to the challenge, and remind your challenge, who do you think you are? Because before me, as a child of God, you are going to be brought to the ground. God will bring the capstone. In other words, the building will be finished. The shouts of God bless it. God bless it. Zerubbabel, it looked like he couldn't get the job finished, but God reminded him, listen, this doesn't depend on your skill, your strength, your ability. I'm going to do this by my spirit. Listen, I want to tell you that, that God's promises in your life and in my life might seem impossible to us here and right now, but God's purposes don't come about by human power. They're by God's power, by God's might, and by God's Holy Spirit. And what God has said, God will always do. Always. Look up. If you're looking out and seeing mountains, you need to look higher. Look up. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17. Here's God's promise to you. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Okay, look at, look at those first two lines. Look at those statements. God says, no weapon that's formed against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. Then look at the next line. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is yours. This is mine. This isn't just a, a verse in a book. This isn't just something that's good to quote on a dark night. But this is what's ours. Part of our inheritance as God's children, what God promises to us and will provide for us, that's his commitment to us. Later on in Psalm 121, verse 7, it says this, God guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now. He guards you always. Look up and see God's protection. God's got you. And that, for some of you here today, was very specifically why. God wanted you to be here. Because if you hadn't been here, your eyes would be focused on the battles that you're going through right now. But God wanted you to be here to look up 
and to look higher and to realize that his protection is guaranteed. So the second, the second thing I, w- I want to focus on today is this. If you will look up, you'll see God's preservation. That might sound similar to God's protection, but let me explain how, how I'm looking at this. There's a verse in, in, in Isaiah uh, or that, that I want to just look at here. In, in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 6, right? Lift up your eyes to the heavens. So God's saying, look, look up. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. Look up. Look down. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, right? The Bible says one day there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. Its inhabitants will die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Now, here's my question. So everything around us is going to be destroyed. Everything around us will be done away with. But God says my salvation is going to last forever. My righteousness will, will never fail. So my question is, so where are they? Where is God's righteousness? Where is God's salvation? I know the answer to that question. I hope you do. They're in me and they're in you. What God has put into you and me, the heavens may be done away with in a new heaven. The earth may disappear and there's a new earth. But there's one thing that will not change. God's salvation that he has given to us, God's righteousness that he has put within us, those things will never fail. So, some, of us, some of us have come from church backgrounds where, where, where we've been fed the lie that, you know, you know what, you, you kind of, you're always walking a tightrope because you, you better be careful. You want to be sure you make it. I, I mean, you, you've heard it. I've heard it. You know, some of you here today, you know, if you don't get your act together, you're really not going to make it. Here's the reality. I can never get my act good enough to earn the mercy of God. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So, you know, you need to make sure you need to make sure you're in a good way. You need to make sure there's no sin in your life. It's like, oh, how's that working out for you? No, no, I live in God's righteousness. Still a work in progress like we all are. I lean on God's salvation. And my confidence is in God's preservation. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God. The good news, the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Not to everybody who earns it. Not to everybody who deserves it. Not to everybody who can keep it up. God's message of salvation brings eternal hope to everyone who believes. Everyone. 
So if God's salvation is going to last forever, here's the thing. We have actually, we have been saved from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin. One day we will be saved from the presence of sin. My salvation and yours will last forever. Look up. Look up. Don't be nervous about your faith. Don't be kind of stuttering and scared. Am I really good enough? No, of course you're not good enough. And I'm not good enough either. But God is so good that God has lifted us. And today we are in His hand, firmly and eternally held there. My salvation will last forever. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. See what it says there. For if by the trespass of one man, this is starting with the, like sin started with Adam and then came down through the human race. If, if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. It's like as Adam went, we all went. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The band we're, we're singing earlier, we were singing with them the song that says, Christ is enough for me. Right? Christ is enough for me. In fact, if you look at the third line of that verse up on the screen, you'll see there, it actually says that Christ must be more than enough. It refers to God's abundant provision of grace. So God makes sure there's plenty it's kind of like your house and mine on Thanksgiving Day. We're so scared we run out of food that we make enough to feed the Fifth Cavalry, right? God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness. So God's promise is that His salvation and His righteousness will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. You know why? Because in God's presence, I'm not talking about how righteous I am. In God's presence, I am saying, I have identified myself and I have robed myself in the righteousness of Jesus through trusting Him. God's preservation. No matter how scary God life gets, God will always keep us in His hand. And no matter what we do, some of you are going to struggle with this statement, but feel free. No matter what we do, God will always be our Father. All right? Didn't some of you tell your kids that when they went away to school? Whatever you do, I'll always love you. Do the right thing, but know this. Nothing will ever stop me loving you. Right? God's our Heavenly Father. Now, some, of you, some, of you, some folks struggle with that because they, they want to be nitpicky. You say, oh, that means people can do what they like and God will still love you. You know what? Once you really are aware of the love of God, you want to do what God likes. Amen. And, and so actually, God's grace and God's mercy and God's goodness makes us want to live a different way. Amen. Isn't that the case? Yeah. And if it doesn't, you haven't grasped it. Anyway, I'm going to move on because I sounded like I was getting a bit too. <laughs> we know there are sensitive people here. Look up and see God's perseverance. God's saying, heavens are going to go. The earth's going to go. My salvation and my righteousness in you are going nowhere. 
Love it. In fact, let me, in, in Luke 21, verse 28, Jesus talks about all kinds of awful things going on in, in the world. And he said this. He said, when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift your, up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. It's like, you know, when the world reaches its lowest ebb before God really starts to wrap things up, don't panic. Look up. Look up, because thank God we've got something to look forward to, because God's righteousness and God's salvation will never, never be denied us. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. Its inhabitants die like flies, but my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. If you came in here this Sunday morning, and maybe you did not have your best week as a Christian, I want to tell you this. You don't need to come into God's presence, into God's house, and come into worship just feeling as if, well, I guess I'm kind of blown it. I'm, you know, I guess God's done with me now. God will never be done with you. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Look up and see God's preservation. Now, you know, we could finish there, and we're almost getting to the time where we should, but we're not going to. I mean, it would be a good thing to be able to say, hey, you know, here we are today. You know what I want to do? Let's just look up and thank God for God's protection and thank God that he's around us and above us and we can look up above all of our, all of our battles and say, God's got me. We can look at God's preservation and say, you know what? God gave me the gift of life. I am going to live forever. Isn't that terrific? And I can say, Tom, why don't you and the guys come back up here and let's just rock this place and praise God for what he's done for us. But we're not going to do that. Because there's a third look up that I want to talk about. I want to talk about looking up and seeing God's passion. You see, we take those first two things in the danger and say, well, praise God, this is terrific. We're, we're good and we're in a good place for now and for eternity. God's got me covered. And he has. John 4, verse 36, Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months to the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Other translations, Jesus says, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. There's always a danger that we get so taken up with how blessed we are that we forget the fact that out there, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who need to know Jesus like we know Jesus. And Jesus never wanted his disciples to lose sight of the fact that there was a harvest that needed to be brought in. Listen, China and India are the two nations on earth with the most people in them who are not Christians. The third nation is the United States of America. Okay, we're not living in a Christian nation, and somewhere along the line it would be realistic to recognize that. Okay, I didn't just condemn our country in the slightest way. I'm saying when there's a wall in front of you, a mountain in front of you, you need to recognize what it is. We're not living in a Christian nation. That's, that's where it is. 
Our country was founded on Christian principles. Absolutely. They are not pursued in government, certainly nowadays. Ten Commandments used to be in all public buildings, less and less and less nowadays. It was on June the 25th, 1962, that the Supreme Court ruled in Engel versus Vitale that a prayer approved by the New York Board of Regents for use in schools actually violated the First Amendment because it represented establishing religion. And prayer was taken out of schools. Now, here's the thing. Some of you can argue with me about this, but please don't bother because I don't want to get in an argument. It's probably not coming back anytime soon. Hasn't happened in the last however many years. We live in a world that does not embrace the core values of Christianity. But that's not, I don't find that negative and depressing, you see. I'm the shoe salesman who went to an African village with his friend, and his friend said, we're going to lose out here. Nobody wears shoes. And I say, this is the best market in the world. Nobody's got shoes. We live in a nation that needs Jesus. And you know what's exciting about that? We know Jesus. We, we live in a nation that desperately needs to connect with God. And you know what? We know how to help them to connect with God. If you think about it, the early church lived in a time when there was outright open hostility to Christianity. Here's what it says in Romans 5 in verse 20. It says, where sin increased, look at the second part, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I want to encourage every one of you as followers of Jesus, don't curse the darkness, light the light. Don't talk about how bad this world is, talk up how good Jesus is. Maybe cut back on your political posts on Facebook and start posting positive things about how Jesus is and who he is and what he can do for them. Oh, sorry. Just let's keep going, Rog. Jesus said, look at the fields. We live in a nation that's ready for harvest. Ready for harvest. Christian values generally downplayed. But the reality is, you and I are here now as God's messengers of hope and of life and of love. How do we reach them? I'll tell you what. We've done different things over all the years I've been a believer to try to reach people. You know what the most effective thing is? We've been doing it for years here now. We just invited people to church. We just invited people to church. And when they come to church, we create an environment that is welcoming, non-threatening, not crazy, to which they can relate, and we let God do the rest. I, I was listening to an interview the other day by, with, with the, the, the writer, Anne Lamont, and uh, Anne Lamont was saying she had been an alcoholic from her early teens till her 30s, and she said the way she got sober was she went to AA, and when she went to AA, she said they, the, the one thing she had a difficulty with with AA was, was that when people spoke about their higher power, she felt she didn't really know or recognize or identify. She wanted a very personalized higher power. So she said she started going to a church. And she said, a little church of 40 people. And she said, what I loved about that church is they welcomed me and left me alone. She said, nobody made home visits. Nobody tried to enroll me in classes and told me there's a ton of things I need to learn. 
She said they welcomed me and left me alone. So many of us have spent a lot of our lives thinking we need to fix people. But we, we can't fix people. Lord, we're having a hard time keeping up with fixing ourselves. But what we can do is to love people and to welcome people. And I want to encourage you, particularly with the holiday season coming up, invite, invite, invite. The people you work with you think might be the least likely. Invite, invite. Your family members who have said no a zillion times, invite. Invite. Jesus said, you think the harvest is going to be sometime down the road. He said, no, this is the season. It's harvest season in the lives of some of the people we know. And we need to start bringing the harvest in. There's a story I, there's a story I wrote, read by, uh, in a book by a name whose guy whose name just immediately went away from me. Um, and, and anyway, he wrote some good books. Yeah, John Ortberg. Uh, John Ortberg tells this story about he, he actually went and got his hair cut from his, this, the same hair salon, same hairdresser his mother used. And um, after it, he, he talked to his mother and he said, you know, your hairdresser, I think she's really ready to get connected to God. And his mother said, um, are we talking about the same person? And she described her hairdresser. She said, yeah, that's her. She said, I, I don't think so. You know, like she's on her fifth marriage and it's breaking apart, and she's like, she lives a wild life. John Ortberg said, I really feel that there's an openness to God there. He said, next time you go and get your hair done, start talking to her about Jesus. So his mother went to the hairdresser. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not good at that stuff, and I'm a pastor. Now, if you give me the opening, I'll talk, but I'm not like, you know, cold. Um, uh, so let me talk to you about Jesus. So his mother sits in the chair, and she says this little prayer to God. She says, I'm not starting this, but if you really think that she needs somebody to talk to her, let her start the conversation. Sat in the chair, hairdresser gets her ready. First thing she says is, I hear you and your husband have a Bible study in your home. Would I be able to come? And then she told the story of, she said, you know what? She said, I need God. But I spent my life so confused. She said, my, my, my f mother was Jewish. My father was Catholic. My mother would go to the temple on, on, on a Saturday, and, and she would come home and tell me things from there. And then my father would go to Mass on Saturday evening and come home and make me do the rosary. And she said, it just did nothing for me. So I moved away from things. But she said, I've got to have something. She said, I spent years battling with alcohol. And she said, when I started going to AA, I, you know, we started talking about higher power, and I thought, I need a higher power, but I couldn't deal with God. So I, I gave my higher power a name. I called him Ralph. And, and, and she said that went really well for quite a long time. So one night when there was a guy visiting their group, and he wasn't in a good state himself at the time, and he introduced himself and said, my name's Ralph, I'm an alcoholic. And she thought, there goes God. She said, so I need to know God. Can you help me? I wonder how many people we know that are in that position. Jesus said the fields are ready for harvest. That woman was ready for harvest, but the fact is, 
John Ortberg's mother was totally oblivious to it. My encouragement to you in this week is this. Don't look around at the world we live in and be superior, be putting things down in your mind or putting people down in your head. Listen, where we are now, we are by the grace of God. No mistake about that. But what we really need to be doing is seeing people. Jesus said they're like sheep without a shepherd, and we need to be loving them into the kingdom of God. Amen. Look up. Look up. Look up. And then let's stand up, and the band are going to come. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing our closing song.